I'm Jeff Smelser. I hope that we are live. I think we are now. Uh, Chase Byers is with me. Uh, Drew DeGrotto is the guy who runs things behind the scenes. He's not with us today, so that means I encountered a little bit of technical difficulty that Drew would not have encountered. He would have sailed right through it. Joe Works is not here to make fun of me uh, for being so incompetent. Uh, but Chase is, and I'm glad to have you with me today, Chase. Uh, yeah, it is good to be on. We're going to talk about this uh, idea, this world is not my home, but the way I want to get at it, I want to really focus on not just the fact that I have another home to look forward to other than this world, nor simply that while I live in this world, I need to focus on that other home. I want to focus on the fact that that gives me a different perspective or a different worldview. That's, that's, have you ever heard that expression, worldview, Chase? Yeah, I have. Um, a lot of people look at that differently obviously but it's just the basic understanding that that the way we see the world and more specifically our purpose in the world or why we're here it's going to dictate our every move and every action yeah. and if we're truly convinced by our worldview then it'll explain a lot of why we do what we do if you were to sum up say the worldview that we have as christians just in a few words how would you sum it up i would say this is just a tiny dot on the entire spectrum of eternity this is this is not our home we're just passing through as one of our famous hymns talks about and so we're, we're put here for our creator uh, by our creator and we are to live for his glory and his purposes that idea of our creator and our being responsible to live for his purpose um I, that, I think that gets at the the heart of it our worldview is that we were created by a personal god a loving god a powerful god a righteous god whom we have against whom we've sinned, and yet he's willing to forgive us in Christ. Being forgiven in Christ, we have a hope of living with him in eternity. And so we view this life as part of our task in serving him to be with him in eternity. A lot of people don't have that worldview. Their worldview is everything here is here by accident, right? Yeah. And so if, if my worldview is that everything was here by accident and I, as a result, am just a random cause that, that's happened because of a bunch of other stuff, then don't be shocked if I go out and do some type of heinous thing, or don't be shocked if I don't live my life for other people because it's all random anyways. Right, right. So how we think about why we are here and who we are affects the way we live. And so, so I want to get at this idea of a different worldview. Uh, let's see, I think I'm still sharing our welcome screen, the beginning screen. I, I want to share a different screen here for a moment. Um, there it is right there. So I want to do a little bit of a word study before we get right into this idea of our worldview or the fact that we have a different perspective than a lot of people. And I'm sharing the wrong screen. Okay. I'll figure this out. Here we go right there. Now let's try to share. All right. All right, I want to call everybody's attention to John chapter 10, uh, verse 19. We, do I have that on screen successfully? Yep, yep, Great. we're good. So here is Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he is teaching, and dissension occurs among the Jews because of what he says. In verse 20, many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? What's your translation say there, where this says, is insane? Mine says it is insane. Sorry. It says exactly that. You have the New American Standard? Yeah, I do. 
Okay, that's fine. That's that's fine. That's fine. Uh, Acts chapter 12 and verse 13. This is the, the incident where Peter had been jailed, was to be put to death, uh, however miraculously escapes, comes to the home of the mother of John Mark, where disciples have gathered to pray for Peter, whom they think is still in jail. The servant girl, Rhoda, meets him at the gate, leaves him at the gate, goes running back inside to say, Peter's at the gate. And they said to her in verse 15, you're out of your mind. <laughs> and then we come yeah. to 1 Corinthians 14. And we have Paul talking about an assembly where the Corinthians would be inappropriately all speaking in tongues, maybe at the same time, but not with an interpreter. And a visitor comes in, an outsider or an unbeliever, and he hears this cacophony of confusion. And he says, will they not enter and say, you're insane? Yeah, uh, the CSB says there, uh, will they not enter and say, you are out of your minds? Out of your so minds. Yeah, which yeah. is similar to the way this is translated in Acts 12, 15. Right. In each of these passages, the, this expression that's in bold, and in some cases in English, it's, you know, several words, five words <coughs> in Acts chapter 12, verse 15, three words in 1 Corinthians 4, 20, 14, 23, and a couple of words in John 10, 20. That's in the New American Standard Translation. But they all represent one word in Greek. And that word is minami. Minami. And minami is a verb, and it means, um, I guess you, one way you can translate it is, I'm out of my mind, or I am, um, um, what's some of, the, some of the expressions we have, I'm loony as a, I don't know, whatever. But we get, there's a, there's a noun in Greek that goes with this verb, uh, mania, and we pronounce it a little bit differently in English. We say mania. And that comes from minami, and then maniac or maniacal or maniac. Maniac, yeah, is what maniac. I would have went with. Yeah. yeah, I guess we don't say maniac. We say maniacal or maniac, yeah. That, that all comes from this family of words in Greek. Uh, even the word manic in, in our language comes from this. Mm -hmm. That gives you a okay. little bit of an idea. All right, so yeah, that's... But the, go ahead. But it's, your point being, it's a very common expression that we still use today. My point being that if we look at our words that come from this word and we look at these three passages we have on screen, you see the idea of being crazy in it. And, and yet there's another element that's involved in this word, and that is the idea of rage. Uh, it seems that at the core of this word originally, the root of this word, there's this idea of to rage, to be enraged or to be furious, but it was often used indicating irrational anger, being angry out of one's mind. Chase, I am guilty of having gotten so angry that I lost control and did not act appropriately. Mm -hmm. um, when we do that, we're behaving irrationally. If I'm a Christian, I'm led by the Spirit. But if I am acting out of such anger that I'm not in control of myself, my anger has taken control of me. Mm -hmm. And I, I'll do things I wouldn't do otherwise, right? Yeah, and so I like the way that you match those words up. You're acting out of your own mind, almost. Yes, because you're yes, in the, yes. You're, you're, you're in this state of anger, and, and if you were normal, and under normal circumstances, you are a calm person, you wouldn't do what you, ju what you just did. And so it's like you're somebody else in that moment. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I, I totally relate to that as well. There's but definitely been times where I've been so angry that I've done things irrationally, and I look back on it, and I'm like, 
that doesn't even sound like me. Like it doesn't even appear to be like something I would have done, but anger and sinful anger can drive you to that point. Yep. So think when we see this word minimize, think to be rabid or to be a raving lunatic, that kind of an idea. All right. That brings us to also mentioning that Joe works is not able to be on today. Um, No, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) We were looking for some connection. That's a great one. I think we found it. Yeah. But go ahead. Where are we going with all this? Well, all right. There's a there's another word that I want to talk about. We're going to get back to being not of this world here in just a second. But there's another word. Um, and it's this same word minimai, but with an EM stuck on the front. And that would be okay. minimai. And you know, Chase, that oftentimes in Greek they'll have a verb and they'll add a preposition to the beginning of it, and that'll intensify the meaning of the verb. Yeah, I remember that very well from Greek class. And and EM uh, is is the preposition N, which is EN, and I won't go into why it changes to M here, but they've just added the preposition N to the beginning of this verb, and that intensifies the meaning of the verb. We do that in English. You can say eat or you can say eat up, right? You can mm-hmm. say cry, you can say cry out. What we do is we take the preposition and add it at the end of the word, and we don't make it part of the word. We leave it two separate words, but we're doing something very similar to what they did in Greek. We can say run or we can say run around and we can say cover or cover up. So those are examples of what we do in English that's similar. And the point is this minimi is essentially the same verb as minimi, but intensified, you could say. Okay. Paul used this word of himself. Yeah. So let's go to um, Acts chapter 26. What's going on here in Acts chapter 26? Paul is having it's an opportunity. Before, yeah, he's going to be talking to Festus, correct? Festus and Agrippa. Agrippa. And a whole uh, host of dignitaries. People have shown up for this occasion. And Paul says in verse uh, 11, talking about when he was persecuting Christians, as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme since I was, the New American Standard says, extremely enraged at them. Furiously enraged. Yours says furiously. So that's the new, that's the new New American Standard. Oh, I see. You were talking about ASV. Gotcha. No, no, no. There's, there's like several editions of the New American Standard. There's the, there's the 77 edition, the 95 edition, and then the current edition, and they changed a few things in it. Um, okay. But, but if you look at several different translations here in Acts chapter 26, verse 11, the NIV, I like pretty well. It says, I was so obsessed, I was persecuting them, even to foreign cities. That idea of being so obsessed, it's like, I'm just, I'm not even in control of myself. It's just overtaken me, this obsession with persecuting Christians. I'm behaving irrationally. Um, the King James Version, the American Standard, say being exceedingly mad. And people read that today and they think it means angry, but that's not what mad meant when the King James translation was made. What does mad mean? But you know what the, the original meaning of the word mad is? Um, 
it's not so much that like you're angry about something as much as it means like mad as a hatter meaning yes. you're out of your mind yes yes yeah. yes do you know where that expression mad as a hatter comes from okay so i know it from alice in wonderland is that <laughs> is that where it actually comes from it, it comes before that okay uh, yeah that that use in uh lewis carroll's writings the mad hatter as we say uh, -huh. uh mad as a hatter there was an expression in England, mad as a hatter, and it's thought that it came from the hat making industry in the eastern, in an eastern part of England. I don't know why, but they used mercury in the process of making hats. Ah, and huh. as a result, they, the workers experienced symptoms that made them seem insane, which resulted in this expression, mad as a hatter. That's interesting. I, I did not know that. Yeah. So, so when the King James Version and the American Standard Version say being exceedingly mad, they're not saying Paul was claiming to be angry, although anger could be a part of it. They're focusing on the fact that he, Paul is saying, I was, I was out of my mind. I was obsessed with persecuting Christians, which is interesting. Uh, now, the English Standard says in Raging Fury and the New American Standard, your edition has being furiously enraged. Mm -hmm. The Net Bible says I was so furiously enraged, but all those translations lose sight of the Looney Tunes element of this word, the, the crazy part, which I do believe Paul has in mind. So I think a, a really good translation of this maybe would be, I was exceedingly crazed with anger. That, that would get the idea. That anger is something that there is in the, in the root of the word, an idea of anger. And Paul is obviously, he's persecuting people there's some vitriol here, but he, don't lose sight of the fact he's saying I was crazy. I was just out of my head persecuting people. Sure. A little detour here. We need to take heart and understand that when we are out of our head angry, le leads to irrational conduct. And that's, that's going to mean we're, we're not being led by the spirit. James 1.20, a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Uh, you, you cannot, you cannot be being led by the spirit if you're controlled by your anger. Mm -hmm. If you're not in control of yourself, then your passions have taken over. So when, so, so Chase, have you ever heard somebody try to explain away their behavior and say, well, I was just so angry. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I sometimes will explain away my bad attitude or a certain tone that I take with someone when I'm hungry, we get the, the phrase hangry. Hangry. And yeah. it's kind of jokingly, well, I got short with them because my, I was hungry and I, this is how I got. But my wife and I talk about it all the time. You know, that's not an excuse, not an excuse. To, to, right. to, to be short with somebody. It's not an excuse at all. You might be hungry, but it still doesn't give you the right to treat someone that way. It's not to say that it's necessarily wrong to be angry, but if I'm so angry, I lose control. That's the problem. In Ephesians chapter 4, 28, I think Paul's point is when you're angry, don't sin. Don't let it get to the point where it controls you. Mm -hmm. uh, be angry and sin not. All right. Now, um, I want to, uh, how are we doing on time? Yeah, I think we got time. So one more thing before we get to this. Um, you know how Jesus says it's hard for you to kick against the goad when, and Paul talks about this in Acts chapter 26 in verse mm -hmm. uh, 14. He says, I heard a voice saying unto me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the goad. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had to explain that expression to anybody? 
Oh, absolutely. I, I, I had to have it explained to me. I didn't grow up on a cow farm, you know, or I didn't grow up on a farm at all. And so just the expression of, of someone getting nudged on or whatever like that. Yeah, it had to be explained to me growing up. Yeah. So a goad would be like a pointed stick that you would use to prod the cow. A cattle move. prod. Right. Cattle prod. Yeah. Okay. And, and the Lord is speaking about Paul and, or Saul and saying it's hard for him to kick against. A cow might do that. You stick the cow with a stick, the cow's going to kick at it. And yet, sometimes people are puzzled because it didn't seem like Paul was, was uh, having a hard time kicking against the goat. It seemed like Paul was pretty eagerly kicking against the goat. And yet Jesus says it's hard for you to kick against the goat. If you think about the fact that Paul says, I was mad, I was out of my head then maybe we kind of see a little bit of a psychological explanation for this statement. It's hard for you to kick against the goad. Maybe what Jesus is getting at is, Paul, you've seen enough evidence of the fact that I am the Christ, that I've been raised from the dead. You're resisting it so vociferously, uh, irrationally. You're out of your head and you're kicking against the goad, but in your heart of hearts, if you sat down and thought about it, you would know, and maybe maybe that's what he's getting at. I, I don't know. It's a, I hadn't thought about that. I think that's a really cool perspective to consider. Um, that, that's neat. All right, but let's let's now, talking about perspective, let's get to the fact that we have a different perspective than everybody else does, because this word is going to come back, or at mm -hmm. least minimize is going to come back in Acts chapter 26. We come down to, now remember, the American Standard and the King James in Acts 26, verse 11, Paul says, I was exceedingly mad. I was crazy. I was out of my head. And then he goes on as he's speaking to Festus and Agrippa and all these people. And he talks about how Jesus told him he was going to be sent to the Gentiles to preach. And Paul says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He talks about how he went and preached to the Gentiles and how he'd ended up here in Jerusalem and, even, and had been arrested. But even to this day, he says, I stand unto this day testifying both the small and great, uh, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses did say should come, how that the Christ must suffer, how that he must first by the resurrection of the dead should proclaim that uh, proclaim light both to the people and the Gentiles. And at this point, Festus, the Roman procurator, the governor, interrupts Paul and says, Paul, you are mad. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. Paul said, now, now to be sure, he uses the word minimai, and Paul used the word uh, imminimai, but remember, essentially, they're the same word. One is uh, maybe an uh, intensified form of the other. Paul says, I was mad before. I was crazy before when I was persecuting Christ and his followers. And now Festus says, now about Paul, you're mad now. You're crazy now. From Festus's perspective, Paul is crazy now. But Paul says, now I'm speaking words of soberness and truth. Before I was crazy. They have a different perspective about what's saying and what's not. Go ahead. I love the ESV's translation of this verse. It says, but Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that really goes well with what you're pointing out, that he, he wasn't rational before. He was irrational. He wasn't reasoning. He wasn't logical. But now he realizes the logic behind what he believes and understands. So this so is because cool. we have two different perspectives, such that one man can look at something 
and and think it's rational and the other man looks at the same thing thinks it's irrational and and then the and then you look at something else and and they're on opposite sides you know the one who thought something so this this is just a different worldview Paul is coming from a different perspective than than Festus is. And when we think about when we think about that situation, what we end up doing is talking past each other. We, I'm sure that's an expression probably most folks are familiar with talking past somebody. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah, I mean especially I think you um I think you see this in religious conversations sometimes a lot, yeah. Uh, yeah. where terms aren't defined and um, you haven't maybe really figured out where each other are, and so it gets to the point where you're just pat you're talking past each other. You're not really getting anywhere in the conversation because you don't understand each other's viewpoints or your each other's perspective. In uh, in ge in geometry, we used to talk about skew lines in school maybe maybe people remember this but you could have intersecting lines so you've got two lines that intersect mm -hmm. and you have parallel lines they never intersect but they're in the same plane and so but then you have lines that aren't even in the same plane and they never intersect but they're just they're just they're totally unrelated they never there's never a point of common ground there's not even you can't even say they're parallel they're not even tracking each other and, and that's the way it is sometimes when we're talking with somebody who has a different worldview coming from a different perspective. And that's what it was between Paul and Festus. Paul just made no sense whatsoever to Festus because Festus had a different perspective. So that's the way it's going to be with some people. You know, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4 says um, that there are those who are going to think it's strange that we run not with the same Ex, run not with them to the same excess of riot. I may, I may not have gotten it quoted perfectly from the ASV, but they, they, they're just going to think it's strange that we don't do the things they do. And you, we try to explain to them why, and they, they don't get it. And so what do you do when you are talking about such profound things as eternal life, as who we are, as how we should live our lives with somebody who's coming from a different worldview and they just don't get it. What do you do? Do you get angry with them? Do you do you shout at them? Do you call them stupid? What do you do? I think the best thing you can do is try to help them understand your worldview. If this is the way you see things, and if or help them understand if this is the way someone looks at the world and understands the world and how it operates, then don't be shocked that this is the code that I live by. Yeah. And I think if you can help them see that, they might not agree with you. But yep. then they understand why you tick. They understand why you're acting the way you're acting. And, and that's great if you can do that. But with some people, you never get to that point. There's just sure. no point of commonality that you can start from. And that seems to be the case with Festus. So I want you to notice two things that, that Paul does in regard to Festus. One, he is courteous. He says, uh, let's read it. Read verses 24 and 25. Yeah, while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. He says, most excellent Festus. He, he's, he's not connecting with Festus, but he can still be courteous, acknowledge Festus's office and say, most excellent Festus. But the next thing he does in verse 26 
For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. And one more. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Ah. Agrippa replied to Paul. No, don't, oh, sorry, don't, go go to, don't go to Agrippa's reply yet. Just stop okay. there at, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Festus didn't. There's no common ground with Festus. So Paul is courteous. Okay, Festus, most excellent Festus. I'm, I, I'm not crazy like you think I am. But Agrippa knows what I'm talking about. And then he turns and he talks directly to Agrippa and says, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Now, that doesn't mean Agrippa is going to become obedient. He's not. But he can understand where Paul is coming from. And there are people in the world in both those camps. There are people who have such a different worldview than we as, as believers have. They're just not, we're not going to make sense to them. But there are other people in the world who are not themselves believers or who are not Christians, or maybe they're professing Christians. They're at least going to understand where we're coming from, even if they don't choose to submit to it. There's your Festus and your Agrippa. So what are some things that the Christian has that the rest of the world looks at and is like, that's crazy. They have this perspective or they act this way when this thing happens. And that doesn't make any sense to me as the world. Or do now, we have any things like that? You know, when, when we, we talk about when somebody um, suffers some great wrong and, 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 and you accept it and forgive the person, you know, I, well, I could never forgive that person, especially you know, maybe, maybe a, a rapist rapes a woman and then, and then he, he repents and the woman forgives him. And how could you ever forgive him? Well, if you don't have the perspective of a Christian, you might find that hard to do. Um, th there are all kinds or of- The other way around, I was going to say, I, I know another way around um, is that there have been many in our country who have went to prison for things that they haven't done. And Later, when DNA evidence has been discovered and it shows that that person actually didn't do it, it's really cool. You'll hear some of these stories where that person comes out of prison for 15 years or something they never did, and they go to the person that said they did it, and they forgive them. And, of course, the person that was the eyewitness, so-called, and they just saw the wrong person or whatever, they feel horrible, but the person that was in prison is willing to forgive them most of the time, if not all the time, that person has faith. They, they are a Christian. And the rest of the world looks at that and goes, how could you ever forgive someone who, who's done this to you? But well, when you have the world view that your God has done the same thing, yeah. how else or what else can you do but forgive someone? Or another, another scenario would be where a person stays married to a spouse who is impossible to live with. We would say, I just can't live with that person. But you stay married to the person and make the best out of it. Somebody says, why would you do that? That's nuts because I'm a Christian, you know, that's what, because it's not about me. It's not about, you know, a guarantee that I, I have a perfect marriage. It's about, I'm, I'm here to do God's will and God has a plan. I've been to many funerals of Christians, faithful servants of the Lord. And I know you too have, or you have too, um, Jeff, but I've also been to funerals of people who do not have faith, who do not have hope in the Lord. And the rooms are vastly different in those two scenarios. Yeah. And the one room will look at the other and say, well, how is it that you have, why is everyone in here happy? How are people laughing? You know, why are people catching up with one another? And it's because funerals, although they're sad, 
it's only temporary. We realize that someone who dies in the Lord, everyone in there that has that worldview yeah. is thinking, I'm going to see them in just a short time. So, so having emphasized this fact that we just, we look at things differently, I want to make three points. And one is don't prioritize appearing to be normal because we're not, we don't have the same worldview as the rest of the people in the world who might define normal. Secondly, don't adopt the world's perspective in order to seem normal. And the third is know who you are. Those are the three points that I want to cover in the last 15 minutes of our time. Don't prioritize appearing to be normal. Chase, from, from the earliest days of our, of our lives in, in, on this earth, we uh, try to appear normal. We call it peer pressure. We want to blend in. I'll tell you a quick story. My oldest daughter, when she was going to school first grade for the you know her first year in school she didn't go to kindergarten she's going to go to first grade and she's been going to school for a few weeks and now we have a big snow and so uh her mother wants her to wear uh, a snowsuit big snow pants and snow jacket matching snow pants and snow jacket and gloves and all that and she didn't want to she thought she would look because she didn't hadn't seen anybody wear that you know and so I was driving her to school, so she's all bundled up in this snowsuit, but she's all mad. She's first grader. She's all mad because she has to wear the snowsuit. She's going to look stupid in the snowsuit. So she gets in the car, and she's, and she, she takes off her gloves and then throws them on the floor, you know, and probably, um, certainly not being a good father at the time, I gave her some leeway and said, well, you have to wear the jacket and the gloves, but you can take the pants off or something like that. I don't remember what it meant like that. So we're driving along and she sees the other kids walking to school and kid after kid in a snowsuit. And so we're going along. And so she starts putting everything back on. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you, it, it not only manifests itself in innocent ways like that in kids, but I have a, a friend of mine who, whose son, um, he noticed after a while, his son was public schooled, first, second grader. He noticed his son had fallen into this habit of lying more often at home. And he confronted his son about it and talked to him about it, had, had a long talk with him. And he just asked his son, he said, son, this isn't like you. Why are you all of a sudden making the habit to lie to us? And he said, well, dad, at school, all the other kids lie all the time. And he said, they even lie when they don't even have to. And it's just so hard to be different from those other kids. And uh, the next year they pulled them out. They home, they homeschool yeah. now, but nonetheless, I, I, he told me that story to just talk about, he loved the honesty of his kid. It is so hard to be different when everyone else is doing this thing, even when it doesn't make any sense. He said, it doesn't even make sense. Some of the lies they make, but when everyone else is doing it, it's easy to go along yeah. with it. Yeah. And uh, we can't make it a priority. I like how you said that too to be like the rest of the world. We cannot prioritize appearing to be normal. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, we have Paul writing to Gentiles who are being told by Jewish believers that they, the Gentiles, have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Why would the Jewish believers be doing that? Here's why. In Jewish society, you had Jews who did not believe Jesus was the Christ and Jews who did believe Jesus was the Christ. The Jews who believe that Jesus is the Christ, they're baptized into Christ, they're Christians, but they've got a problem because they're going to be associating with Gentile Christians. And if they do, then the Jews, their family members, their cultural society members who are not believers are going to give grief to these Jewish believers for associating with Gentiles. And so the Gentile believers would sometimes try to make 
life easy for themselves to appear normal to their larger Jewish society by saying, okay, yes, I am worshiping with these Gentiles, but the Gentiles I'm worshiping with have been circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And Paul is saying to the Gentiles, don't let them do that to you. Don't let them force you to be circumcised. So let's read starting in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul says, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they compel you to be circumcised only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. These Jewish believers are trying to avoid being persecuted by their own fellow countrymen, Jewish unbelievers, because of their association with you, you Gentiles. And so they want to show in your flesh that they're normal. They're normal within Jewish society. Verse 13, for not even they who receive circumcision to themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. They want to circumcise you so they can say, look, I'm only associating with people who are, in essence, becoming Jewish converts, and thus they'll avoid circumcision. We can't do that. We cannot yeah. prioritize trying to appear. We come out of the world. We've got to leave the world behind. In John 12 and verse 42. Well, yeah, go ahead. Can I ask, can I just ask, do you think 1 Corinthians 5 could be a similar example to your Galatians point? When Paul says it's reported that there's immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, you have become arrogant or puffed up and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Um, and then verse six, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Is it possible that they're boasting in their tolerance of letting this type of thing go on? It sure sounds like it. And that would certainly be possible in today's culture and, and happens. Churches uh, go, go easy on sexual sin. Churches tolerate sexual sin and they pride themselves and they advertise, yeah. we are inclusive. You know, they'll yeah. say. And, and does that not tie in with exactly your point yeah. here? Yeah, we've got that, churches that, that misses, today who are trying to appear the normal to the rest of the world. That's right. Right. We don't want to seem like a bunch of prudes, a bunch of Puritans. That's kind of the mentality. Right. In, in John 12, verse 42, you've got uh, Jesus talking about some of the Jews who believed. Um, he says in verse, or John talking about it, says, Nevertheless, even of the rulers, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that is of men more than the glory of that is of God. And that's the problem. When we're trying to prioritize appearing normal to a world that has a different worldview than we do, we, we're, we're, we're valuing their esteem more than God's. Mm -hmm. but, but if we recognize we just have a different worldview and given that, say, I'm not going to prioritize trying to seem normal to them. Second point, don't adopt the world's perspective in order to seem normal. And I'll tell you how this happens. Um, or some examples of it happening. I am I'm concerned, you know, in Philippians 3, Paul uses the term dogs of Judaizing teachers, the very kind of aware of dogs, right? Aware of dogs, yeah. yeah. And I don't know too many people that get really uncomfortable with the fact that Paul called them dogs. Maybe some people yeah. say, well, I wouldn't have said that, but well, and I mean, I think it's because in our culture, we think of dogs as this cute little pet that we have in our house <laughs> that sleeps in our bed. I really do think, 
Yeah, I think there's a miss. People don't have the right cultural perspective as to what dogs are. I, I, when I was in Sierra Leone a few years ago, there's just dogs running around, and they're not like your pet. They're they're just kind of there. You know, they're they're kind of a nuisance, and you don't really trust them. They're a little shifty. They're they're not going to come out of their way necessarily to come and bite you, but they might. You know, you just kind of keep your distance. And I, I really think that's what was going on in that culture, and that's Paul's point there. You got to beware of them. Keep your eye on them don't let them take this group over so all right well think about that then and think about how people today would react think young people especially um people in your age group think about how they would react to a passage like deuteronomy 23 18 where paul calls homosexuals dogs uh you said deuteronomy yeah okay did i I say i meant well you said you said deuteronomy but you said paul Oh, well, that's funny, because Paul didn't write Deuteronomy. Right, um, so Moses. Moses. <laughs> yeah, there you where, go. All right. Where the word, I didn't know. Uh, so both of them have something to say about homosexuality. I just didn't know which yeah, way yeah, yeah. that. No, okay, in yeah. Deuteronomy 23, verse 18, the, the word dog is used with reference to homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Now, here's, here's the point I'm getting at. I think there are some young, younger people, young adults, who've been raised in the world that we live in, who would chafe at the idea of referring to homosexuals as, as dogs, but would not chafe at Paul's use of the term dog in Philippians chapter three, when he's talking about Judaizing teachers. Mm-hmm. Because somehow in the culture at large, the perspective is that you should never belittle or put down or say anything negative about homosexuality. Because that's just become, in the worldview that, that is around us, that's just wrong. And to be under, just to understand your point too, you're not just talking about the non-Christian worldview, but you're saying even among evangelical circles, this is I becoming am. the yeah. worldview. Even amongst many yeah. who's, who, are, I would say even amongst many Christians, yeah. among younger people, they would react differently to Philippians 3 verse 1, where Paul uses the term dogs of Judaizers, and they go, well, they were Judaizers. Or Deuteronomy 23, verse 18, where he calls homosexual dogs, and they go, oh, I don't think we should do that. That's the word of God. And it's not that it's not that we're trying to justify name-calling. That's not the point. The term dog is used with purpose. Dogs have no morals. Dogs were regarded unclean under the law. And here you've got a, an individual who's engaging in an unclean act, and he's engaging in an immoral act. And so the word dog is used. Uh, I mean, does Jesus... Not also in a roundabout way in Mark's gospel, call a woman a dog, a Gentile woman a dog. You know that's interesting because he is not actually characterizing this woman as a as a as a bad woman, but he does use the term dog there um, to make a point, uh, and it's really kind of a challenge to her to dis- to demonstrate her great faith, and she does. Yes, she does. Yeah. Um, I'm coming but up empty on what I'm exactly which chapter that is. Yeah, is that Seven. we talk about we? I really believe, and maybe I'm mistaken, but I really believe we've got some young Christians who would take a softer line against homosexual sin than heterosexual sin. Sure, you could have somebody who's engaging in adultery or fornication generally with a between a man and woman. They say, "Well, that's wrong. That's that's sin." But if it's homosexuality, I think there are people who would be more tolerant of homosexuality. And and here's my point. They have adopted the world's perspective. 
and maybe subconsciously in order to try to seem normal. And there could, that could be true. Um, I will say, I think for some, it could been, it could be being done out of sincerity to not want to offend or upset the person themselves. Again, I'm not trying to justify what they're doing, but they don't realize that in, in effect, what they're doing by softening that is they're softening the sin. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't think that should be done either. Real but. quickly, real quickly. Um, some years ago, there were some brethren, some Christians who were going around uh, amongst congregations, teaching against evolution, trying to equip Christians to be able to stand in their faith and oppose evolution. But what they were doing was they were watering down. You know what? I'm not sure I have time to do this. Um, I'm going to skip that. We're about out of time. I want to get to my third point. The third, so we, I tried to make two points. Don't prioritize being normal. Don't try, num, number one, don't prioritize appearing to be normal. Don't make that a priority. Number two, don't adopt the world's perspective in order to seem normal. And number three, know who you are. Are you familiar with the expression comfortable in your own skin? Oh, absolutely. What does yeah. that mean? I don't know, being comfortable with with who you are. I, I Just give an example. That's the best way I know to describe it. I I'm comfortable with the fact that I have blonde hair. Okay. I I'm okay with that. I'm not going to go dye my hair black or blue or any other color. Cause I'm comfortable in my own skin with That's what, who you what are. You're not, you don't have to try to look like something else. Right. Uh, we use that expression comfortable in my own skin to mean so somebody who's comfortable in his own skin is not ashamed of who he is and he doesn't feel the need to look like something else. Right. And so, well, who are we? If we are Christians, we have put on Christ. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's who we are. So if we understand we have a different worldview, a different perspective than other people around us, let's be comfortable in that skin. Let's be comfortable with being Christians, not be ashamed of it, and not feel compelled, therefore, to appear normal to people who, think, who are going to think we're crazy when we know we are following words of truth and soberness, or as the New American Standard uh, rational, the ESV, or what did, what did you quote earlier? Words of rational truth, ESV, yeah. Words of rational truth, right. People are not, people are not necessarily going to think we're being rational, uh, and we're not going to think they're being rational. We have a different worldview. We have a different perspective. Paul was, was thought he was crazy before he believed in Christ and not crazy afterwards, and Festus thought he was crazy afterwards and probably didn't think he was crazy before. That's a different worldview. We're going to have to accept that fact. Let's, let's, you know, when we run into somebody with a different worldview, let's be courteous. But sometimes you just have to move on to somebody else like Paul did with Agrippa and said, well, let me talk to Agrippa. Agrippa gets it. And, uh, and then we'll reach who we can. So that's What's cool that's, is, and I was going to say, what's cool about all your points, not only are they well-made in the text you've brought up today, but they're well-made too in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I, I think if you look at Jesus' call to come out of this kingdom and come into his, in Matthew 5 through 7, all these same points are made. It's super cool to see. All right. Well, Chase, thank you much for being with me, even though we got abandoned by Joe. Um, it's good, good to see you. We'll see. Good to see you. I'm sure Joe will be back with us next week. Sounds Maybe. good. If we let him back. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye.